0: My name is Cordy Walker, and I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world talking with leading researchers, instructors, and golfers themselves to learn how we all can play our best golf ever. Hey, welcome back the podcast i am so excited to share an interview with you um that's honestly been top of mind for me since i recorded this back at the top 100 summit it was a conversation about putting uh it's with david orr who we've had on the podcast before actually he's one of the one of the presenters at this thing we did called the motor learning summit this was a handful of years ago um so good Uh, david always has some fascinating insights and great stories Uh, we hear about suzanne petterson's putting justin rose's putting today Uh, and then someone new to the podcast tim brand Um, tim uh, has so much to share he uh, currently works with true spec um, but uh, the story that definitely stands out is talking about almost getting arrested in the Bahamas, uh, delivering uh, some interesting equipment to some of the players that that live down there. So uh, a lot of good stories, a lot of good laughs. You're gonna enjoy this. Uh, and then make sure to head over to the YouTube channel after this, because I, I actually went through a putter fitting um, with the guys, and we have the full videos. It, so much detail, so many interesting things to, to watch and learn from that. But it's over on the Golf Science Lab YouTube channel on the or on the post uh, on GolfScienceLab.com along with this episode. Make sure to go check that out. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's get right into this. Uh, we're gonna start right off with some stories. So much good stuff in here. This episode is sponsored by Whoop. If you don't know what Whoop is, it is a fitness tracker. You've probably seen it on the wrist of guys like Rory or Justin Thomas tiger scott stallings and they're using it to track a few different metrics one is strain the other is recovery and sleep and from what i've seen what i've heard most people talk about recovery and sleep as being these metrics that they're really enjoying diving into recovery is really simply how well you're ready to perform the next day the more that you're recovered The better you can perform at your peak. Uh, It's a a stat that is worth tracking and I've found a lot of value personally and from what I've heard other pros talking about with me of how they're using it. Um, Whoop is a sponsor of the podcast and has given us an awesome discount code. You can use GSL to get a discount when you pick up your whoop band and we also have a whoop team which is awesome so everybody in the golf science lab community who's picked up a band we can kind of see what everyone's doing you can make this into a game and try to get to your best when it comes to sleep and recovery and what you're doing with strain so uh, you can head over to golfsciencelabcom slash whoop and there's a code that you can uh, enter in and join our team it'd be really fun to get everyone who's picked up a whoop band involved on that so make sure to check that out and whoop.com uh, code gsl for a discount First and foremost, thanks
1: for having us on. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it's great to be on the pod. Uh, for folks that may not be as familiar with me, as David over here. Uh, I'm Senior Vice President of TruSpec Golf. We're a brand agnostic club fitting company based out of Scottsdale. I uh, spent some time working for a few different OEMs, both in an R&D capacity as well as in a fitting capacity. Uh, I like to tell folks I've done everything but mow the greens in this industry.
0: David, uh, we're talking putting today. Uh, and I thought that let's start with a story. Uh, Suzanne Pedersen, walk us through that whole story, because obviously we've all seen her, her putting abilities lately here.
2: Right. Well, most stories are lies. You know that, Cordy, but this one happens to be true. <laughs> That's my one of my common lines. Yeah. So I started work with Suzanne Pedersen about two and a half years ago. Uh, she came to see me um, up in Bowie's Creek and I uh, immediately, you know, watched watched her putt. wanted to see how good she was with her green reading speed control and start line and then we uh we actually went over to my facility and we suited her up in a 3d suit um eight sensor system gbd with dr rob Neal, and i measured her and i showed her exactly what she was doing wrong she had a real severe uh, loop in her stroke kind of like if you're a full swing player over the top move so to speak and uh what was interesting is i i I showed her, I said, You're changing you're moving the club out of plane in the transition, which means her wrists were moving kind of up and down out of plane. So she wasn't maintaining the lie angle, so to speak. And she's like, Nobody's ever said that to me And she's been to every pretty much every putting coach on the planet, except for I think Phil, uh, Kenya, my good friend. And um Who I would like, have nailed
1: that right away, I'm well, guessing. <laughs> exactly. Well
2: they see the loop, but they don't know what causes the loop. Yeah. Right? And why not she, a plane movement. Exactly. So I said, we need to work mainly on your wrists first, learning to control the lie and the loft and the rotation. I said, these are the three things that we need to do. So I gave her a drill called Twister. And Twister is just a differential learning method of, okay, let's hit one shut open, open close. Let's hit one in plane, And then we did film what I call the Mickelson-Zach Johnson drill where we hit a couple de-lofted. Couple adding loft and a couple neutral, and then we did Stricker and Aoki. So we we're working all three rotations of the club, and she worked a little on in that. In this sl- lane, a little in that lane, and yes, right in the middle. You right got in it. the middle. <laughs> okay, so she finally understood how a golf club rotates in in space because golf putters don't move in straight lines. Period. I've been looking at three D data for the, with a putter for twelve years, and body data uh, for the last six years. I hate to break it to people, but putters do not move in a straight line. Period. End of discussion. All right? So we got her to understand how the golf club rotates. And is that what she thought, that she was trying to move a putter well, in a straight line Well, she was confused because she, you know, she, here, Cordy, the first two questions people always ask me, do you teach straight back straight through or arc putting? As if it's like chicken or pasta on an airplane, right? But the, the biggest thing, too, is, you know, should I use a line on the ball or not? I mean, that's how bad putting instruction has been over the years and for me to nail it with Suzanne on hey this is how a golf club rotates all putters rotate in in space okay and we got her to do that so we got her wrist motion down and then the second thing was we got her in sync so we start I started giving her concepts and really challenging her belief system and what's interesting is she had the tour championship and she was uh, then she was pregnant with Herman and, and then she got grounded Um, with the pregnancy in Norway. So I didn't see her, hear from her for about probably six months, seven months. And uh, she told me she didn't even touch a golf club during her pregnancy and probably a little bit time after the pregnancy. And the first time I worked with her, I show up and her stroke looks fantastic because here I thought I was going to have to review, you know, what she was doing with her pattern. No, I show up, the stroke looks amazing. I said, come on, you've been practicing. She goes, no, I've been rehearsing. In my mind all the notes and I've drawn pictures of all the notes. You never told me this story. This is cool Yeah, so so mental practice not mental imagery mental practice So she practiced her her concepts and what's interesting is the brain obviously developed a new movement pattern I show up the playing stroke looks fantastic And I said, well, it looks like we need to work on skill work now since the stroke looks fantastic now Let's work on green reading you know, let's work on speed control and, and uh, uh, start line. So, anyway, she calls me up. She goes, uh, what are you doing in the next couple of weeks? I said, why? She goes, you want to go to Scotland? I said, what for? And she goes, for the Solheim Cup. I said, where is it? Because I've already been to, a, you know, I've already been to a British Open at Mirafield with Justin Rose and St. Andrews with Justin Rose and Hunter Mahan. She goes, it's uh, Glen Eagles. I said, where is it? She goes, it's in the Highlands. I said, I'm there. I said, as long as you're buying so she flew me over there, and I, we got there Monday. And it was pretty interesting because uh, it was a pretty negative environment. Uh, you know, the press was pretty negative about her pick. Right. And uh, what was interesting is you could kind of sense the vibe that, you know, you, could, you, you know, she hasn't played golf in two years, and she's, you know, she's, only, made, she's only made one cut out, cut out of her last four events. She shouldn't be there. We kind of had that vibe, you know what I mean? So, and what was cool was she kept saying to me throughout the week, "She's like, I hope it comes down to me. You know, I hope it comes down to the last green, the last point, and the last pot. I hope, I want that." So, what's interesting is the theme of the week, Cordy. If you looked at all the banners, it said it all leads to this moment. Well, how about this? Bronte Law cans one on what was it, sixteen or seventeen? and and now Suzanne's standing in the fairway hitting a wedge in and you know Marina Alex right is that her name she hit one in there too and Marina putted first and you could see Suzanne off to the side if you watch the replay she looked like she was in a little zombie trance and uh, you know she her caddy came in to reach she goes no I got it it's left half and she you know she said as soon as she set up to it she hit it it was all just a blur and uh it went in left half, and and the rest is history, and literally history. Uh, I did not realize this, but somebody informed me of this, and that it's the first time since 1933, Ryder Cup or Solheim Cup, that I think the last point on the last hole, on the last green, the last putt. Yeah,
0: really?
2: Yeah, and so it all led to that moment. And here's the thing about it. Most players would be afraid of that moment, Cordy. Mm-hmm. She all week wanted to be in that moment. And, because of the buildup with the oh, press and yeah, all the negativity. Because that's yeah. Suzanne, she's the ultimate competitor, and uh, she wanted to be there, and uh, it's history, I mean, it's amazing. And then she does the ultimate walk-off homer after she makes the putt. She sees Christian, her husband, and Herman, her little boy, walking on the green, and she said, This is it, I'm done. And literally announced, uh, during the interview that I'm retiring. I mean, so it's like an ultimate walk-off home run. I'm going to make the, one of the greatest putts in women's golf ever, and then I'm going to retire. So, yeah, it, that was pretty amazing uh, to be a part of that and just a small part of it, but
0: uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. So you, you talked about how you were helping her maybe just gain awareness. Of the different, uh, what is the word that you use? The different uh, planes that you're uh, trying to do a
2: differential learning. We differential did, yeah, learning. yeah,
0: just just starting to feel how the golf club
2: rotates differently, uh, whether it's in plane, out of plane, or around the shaft, and just basically learn to control the lie, loft, and rotation. Right, just learning what the club's doing first, then her hands, then her arms, then her shoulders. Okay, and then obviously she ripped off one of the, my favorite putters of all time that I had in my bag, and you know because I, I putter fit all my players. But if they have something, a lot of my players show up with a club glove, not with a bag full of clubs, but a bag full of putters. Yeah. I mean, they show up with, you know, all these circle T's, and I try to barter with them. You know, you don't yeah. need that circle T. I'll take that for the lesson. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So it's, uh, it's all jewelry. You know that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, I did a putter fitting with her, and, and uh, you know, we got the right length, lie loft, and the basics, right? And then we tried different different uh head designs hosel designs uh visual package whether you know and, and what was interesting with suzanne is if she had a line she t- tended to aim a little bit more right and then would have to twist it shut and what was interesting is we went with a dot and she aimed it great now what's funny is the putter that she has the hosel wasn't what i wanted for her, but the head to her looked very square, and she aimed it really straight. We check with a laser. We always check w- with visual perception first. And then, you know, put them on the sampot pot lab, and uh, you know Sam numbers were were pretty good. and uh, so and then also, she was very sensitive to face technology. She wanted the softest feeling, softest sounding head she could have. So, so grooves or are so grooves. So yeah. I had this is an old the original Gar Garen Ger- Rife Antigua. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was made for Ian Poulter, where he cut the slant neck off and put a plumber's neck on. Right. And she goes, I love the way it looks, and I absolutely love the way it feels. Yep. And that was her player preference. And, you know, it wasn't the perfect fit, in my opinion, uh, but it was the perfect fit for that moment, wasn't it? Because Sebo's pretty strong in putter. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. strong in putter. Yeah, so what's interesting is, you know, she loved the way it looked to her when it set up. Uh, the head design was good for her uh like i said the only thing i would have changed different was a hustle um but uh, we did a putter fitting and and uh what's interesting she never changed the grip on it and i show up in scotland and you know it's a, the old rife avs yep. when avs i mean it's worn down and she laughs at me she goes i was thinking about changing the grip of my putter i said you ain't changing nothing yeah
1: and, don't you love that yeah somebody gets fit for a putter they they exhibit, you know, just wonderful mechanics, great performance, and then they want to change something.
2: Oh, let's just talk about here. You know, we've been, one of the features about TruSpec, and TruSpec's a brand-agnostic company, and that is the sole reason, I mean, I, I've chosen to be with TruSpec, is because I don't feel like I'm selling a brand. A matter of fact, I don't even like to sell putters, I don't even get commissions on my, right. my putter fits, I just, to me it's a value-added service. And what's interesting is one of the things I love about our fitting matrix is not that we have, how many heads do we have? 40. 40 heads and hosels and stuff, but we have different, we have 15 or 14 or 15 different grips. Grips at different lengths. At different lengths. And so we I- use
1: a connector system that allows us to interchange different shaft lengths with different grips. So we have, you know, 15 different grip styles at three different lengths. So that's 45 different shafts with grips on it that we can stick into 40 different heads. So the permutations are, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. And what that allows, you know, for a skilled putter fitter to do is really match up The length with the grip, I mean, that's something that David and I have worked a lot on, which we'll get into Mm -hmm. the grip, not just the size of the grip or the weight of the grip, but the shape of the grip. In collaboration. And it's weight. And it's weight. But the the shape of the grip with the anatomy of somebody's hand and the type of grip that they use, meaning whether they're single overlap, double overlap, reverse overlap, claw, the way that they claw it.
2: Finger down the shaft. Finger down
1: the, like long thumb, short thumb, the way that they actually put their hands on the grip with the size and shaping of the grip, in some cases is a big
0: deal. Yeah. I I mean, I've never heard a good um, method of figuring out what kind of grip you should have. So I'm curious curious, because we're working. Curious to learn more. Yeah, because like it always seems like a a guessing game. Work
1: here, but there's a great story behind that. You know, one of uh, David's ex students. You know, Justin Rose, Uh, Rosie, and and David worked for many years together, Uh, and you know, Rosie, I think. You guys got too close, right? I mean, best of friends oh. for, for a while. We were so tight. We still are tight. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I don't work for him anymore. I'm not in the payroll. I quit on him twice. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, those are some really long stories that, that might not be true. But no, I'm just kidding. So but, during, uh, the,
1: during the transition yeah. there between David and yeah. he's yeah. now working with Phil. You know, yeah, and was one of my best friends. Phil so. Kenyon is, is if, if it's not David Orr, it's Phil Kenyon, you know, as far as the authorities on putting uh, in today's game. And uh, during that transition, I was asked to, you know, kind of work with Rosie on some putting stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as he started to get his feet wet with Phil and explore different options, we've seen, you know, Rosie go to the claw. That was something that Rosie had actually done with David.
2: Yeah, so I had actually started Rosie on the claw. We're standing on the putting green at Albany in the Bahamas, and that's pretty much a country club for Tiger. Yeah, rosie, Ernie Ernie rosie Olsen, adam Scott, that's, a, that's all that's there during the day yeah, pretty yeah. much but we're on the putting green week before the masters and uh, rosie goes what in the world is adam doing well go over there and ask him so i go over there i say hey adam i said rosie wants you to tell me how you're doing this cloth thing adam scott's an amazing guy yeah really super nice he goes yeah sure mate here look Hold it like this, and I set up to it like this, and I move it like this, and it feels like this. I mean, he went like gave me a 20 minute lesson on yeah. how he does it, right? Yeah. So I go over there and I explain it to Rosie, and he's like, Let's run back to the house and put it on Sam Paul lab. And we get on there, and Rosie's always been a, not a little, but a lot steery in a stroke, like <laughs> the rotation of the stroke. Especially post impact. Exactly. Gets super. Yeah, a little blocky. Really blocky. So anyway, we look at the rotation grass, and they're smooth. Yeah, the flow is perfect. Yeah, and there's 10 of them, and it looks like one line. He's like, oh, mate. Because why is that? I said, because when you're putting with the claw, it's just almost pure in-plane rotation. Hmm. There's no twisting. There's very little out-of-plane movements. I said, it's a really good way to move the club in the plane. And he's like, oh, man, I love the way that feels. And he started just making everything on the short ones, right? And I just knew. I I said, this is too new. Long putts are going to be an issue. I'm going to trust it. Yeah, so anyway, go to the Masters. We get on the putting green by the first tee. Fooch comes up. He goes, what in the world are you two doing? (laughs) I said, dude, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And... Fuchs just got, he's covering his eyes and he's wiping his face. Rosie's caddy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even Foley comes up, comes up, coming up with a man bag and, what's up, what's up, what's up? And he goes, what are you guys doing? And I said, look, he is either going to do it now or he's going to do it on the back nine. So he's just going to do it. Right. So he started putting with the claw and it started off pretty good, but I knew when he would got those long putts. First three rounds were great. Yeah, I mean, he, he was... I think he was second in the event going into the final yeah, round that year. Yeah, he was in a good, good place. But the problem was the speed control. He wasn't yeah. used to it outside yeah. of 30, 40, 50 feet. So, anyway, he stayed with it for a little bit. And then the te- you know the inner dynamics of a team kind of make things change. And he went back to conventional. And then, obviously, my fr- uh, Rosie was at the uh, Scottish Open. And he says, hey... Uh, isn't Phil Kenyon one of your best mates? I said, absolutely. And uh, I said, he goes, do you mind if he takes a look? I said, no problem at all. And uh, so Phil calls me up. He goes, Rosie just asked me for a lesson. you okay with that? Is that going to affect our friendship? I said, Phil, if there's anybody on this planet that I would have be honored to have you take a look, would be you. Yeah. And they started working together. And, you know, I, my my role always shifted on Team Rose anyway. I started off as a putting coach and then rosie's chipping and pitching and bunker play and wedge play and the big joke was when we get to an eight iron you're done fully takes over
1: yeah <laughs> so, so but
2: uh no it was a great experience for five years and and um you know P- rosie's stroke conventional was pretty good except when he started steering Did he get a little what, was that, a, with was that yeah. pressure that brought that up yeah, it really, it? it's mental i mean when you start steering the face or guiding the club head. That's why some of these training aids that teach you to guide the club head, mm. it's a good concept, but you get into this habit of guiding. Mm. And so I would say steering and guiding are the two mental issues that I see affecting mechanics. Uh, like Tim said beautifully, you know steering affects the face rotation or the blocking, and we see it during and after impact. Yeah. And then you see players trying to guide it and they, they pull it with a trail arm you know, so it's, it's pretty interesting, but, um, you know, the, getting into putter fitting, um, I've been putter fitting for 12 years, and I started with David Adele, uh, did some research for him, and we presented together at MIT in 2007, 2008 at Better Golf Through Technology. It was mainly, uh, mainly studies focused on aim, like, okay, if you put a line on the top or a line on the back of the putter, or two lines on top and two on the back or whatever— and head designs and Hosel, and how they affected static aim with a, with a laser. Yep. And what was interesting is, I had two Sandpot labs at the time, one at the university, and one for my personal use. And we started, you know, I started fitting people for aim. And what's interesting is, usually when you get putter fit, you never see the fitter ever again. But I was fitting my own clients. So they're coming back in the door for putting lessons. And yep. so Dr. Broadhurst could aim his Adele Willamette. So, Hosel absolutely perfect, but it was a mallet with no offset and like 85 degrees of toe hang, and it's almost full right. toe hang, right? And I kept wondering, why in the world can't Dr. Broadhurst get this club face squared impact, no matter what yeah. I do? He aims the putter great, but he can't get it squared up. So the toe just keeps lagging. Yeah, it
1: just keeps lagging, it keeps leaving it open. Center That's mass is so far
2: back, so much. Put after, after put out to the right. Yeah, one and a half degrees to the right. Yep. you know, almost every time. and I'm sitting there telling him to throw the toe at it, release the right arm, keep the left elbow tucked in. I mean there's nothing mechanical I could do for it. Now what's interesting, so I started sitting there going, okay, what's the Stradivarius here, Tim?. Yep. Can I get some much- straight
1: and squares at impact? Oh, if we can Doesn't find exist. the
2: Stradivarius? If we can find the Stradivarius, if you can aim your potty putter and it's the one that squares up the best, I said, that's pretty cool. So what was interesting is I started working on face change fitting for face change. In other words, if I can get you to aim a little bit better and square it up better and reduce that cone, grandpa's gun's not shooting you know, so far offline, right? So started fitting for face change. And then I started having some conversations with a really, really uh, smart guy, uh, Bruce Rarick, who does putter fittings online. And he started talking about fitting for rotation, okay? And fitting offset to path. And that's what I learned fr- from him. And then, obviously, Paul Wood and Eric Hendrickson at Ping, fitting for arc, right? So you start to see this developmental uh, different philosophies and fitting. And then, obviously, Paul Hurrian, who I think is the expert on ball roll in the world, fitting for ball roll. So you've got these five basic philosophies, fitting for aim, fitting for face at impact, fitting for f- face to path, arc and rotation, and then also ball roll. And what's interesting is when I do a fit, I have to sit there and go, which of these five philosophies am I going to be using during a fit? And what's interesting, this is why when the consumer out there and goes and gets fit for a putter, I can tell you right now that I can pretty much guarantee, maybe not 100%, but pretty close, that if you were to get fit by me and then you're going to get fit by Tim and you're going to get fit by Ryan, that might be pretty close, but if you were to get fit by another company who has a different philosophy, they would say, oh, no, 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 no. You need face balance, high at MOI, and we need to put a super stroke 3.0 on there. I mean, that, so this is the problem right now, and this is what we're trying to address.
1: We were getting down that Rosie story, which I thought was really cool, talking about grips, and I wanted to circle back on that because... You know, David kind of did a lot of the the, the pre work that went into figuring out claw. So I end up going down to Albany with 15 different prototype Are putters. You gonna tell that story too. Wow, I don't know if I can. Oh come on, it's the Cordy Walker show. <laughs> the time oh, I got arrested in the Bahamas <laughs> at customs.
2: <laughs> at oh customers. come on, tell <laughs> us so, more. So uh,
1: so I've I've got. We'll we'll give you the Cliff Notes version because it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> complicated. So oh, I get boy. a call. I get a call, listen, I need you to bring this this product. I need you to bring these. Do you know Seven Dreamer shafts? Uh, yes, I have heard of those. Seven Dreamer shafts are a super high-end Japanese shaft. They're mm-hmm. all one of a kind, one-off. Uh, we had three prototype shafts that were designed and made for a certain former number one in the world. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, the number one in the world that mm-hmm. is on everybody's mind, right? So I'm bringing these three prototype shafts down for him to try. I've got 15 prototype putters, one of a kind, made across all different brands. I mean, how much do protos go for? 15, two grand, 2500. I've got all of Justin's gamer wedges. These were the original milled grind twos. I tallied it up. I've got sixty thousand dollars worth of stuff in this golf bag, all one of a kind, rare. A set of you know prototype mirrors that nobody'd ever seen before. So this was all kind of put together last minute to go over to Albany. And I'm going through customs. You're here on business or pleasure. I'm here on pleasure. I've got all this stuff jammed in a travel cover. They ask me to open up the travel cover. They see a bunch of golf clubs wrapped in bubble wrap. They ask me why I'm there. I tell them why I'm there. They don't believe me. Now I'm being detained for smuggling golf clubs. Yeah, not marijuana, so, not drugs. You know, all the things I've done in my not life money. That, that, have, that have caused me issue, smuggling golf clubs is the thing that almost brought me down. Oh, man. And so... And so, anyways, um, I've got my Quintic in a in a case with me, and that was actually the thing that ended up causing the area concern for the customs agents. They were believe, they believed me that I was there on leisure until I'm rolling up with this Quintic case behind me. So, so anyway, long story short, spend the day in jail. Uh, That's great. I tell a lot of folks, you know, XL Sports Management is the management company that manages Tiger and uh, and, Justin. and and Justin and a, few, and a lot of players out on tour. And I tell a lot of folks, I do have one thing in common with Tiger that Excel saved the day for me. Mm-hmm. He busted me out one day. So. Yeah, most stories lies, that one's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in any event, uh, so that was the backstory behind this whole part I'm going to get into here, which was so, working so with So Justin. pre this
0: with the claw grip, he just had a normal grip? I no was experimenting with grips. Well, being like the you know.
2: actual grip, yeah. I was trying yeah, different so, types of grips. Yeah. Exactly, right. Didn't know that using any And use with the, the, with the, the, the claw, because because you don't have the stability so much with the hands to each other, yeah. uh, then you need to put stability down in the club head, and that's where you start going into the Odyssey 7 or hatchback right. fang style. Exactly so right. That's what, you know, typically what, what I'll do when they make the switch, I, I try to find stability somewhere else. So go, this leads into the grip. Right. So. We, uh, I get set up, after clearing customs, I get set up in Rosie's
1: basement, and uh, he's got a really cool setup there at Albany, and set up the Quintic camera system, and, and first things first when you're doing a putter fitting, what type of grip do you use? Uh, I'll always remember fitting Tom Pertzer. I asked him, hey, what do you use? Do you use, you know, single overlap, reverse overlap, claw, you know, left hand low, to which his answer was yes. And <laughs> All I said, of the above. And I said, well, okay, well, wait a minute here. You gotta pick one. Like we're gonna fit this putter, and the way that we fit this putter is dependent upon what grip you use. And that's another thing that I would express to a player: if you get a play, if you get a putter fit to you, and you're using a specific grip style, and you change your grip
2: style, fits no good. The fit, hmm. the fit's invalid. It doesn't work anymore. Interesting. The solution doesn't work. So. Because you gotta remember, the hands are applying force. That's what's attached. Which to is the club. whole lead-in
1: for the grip conversation, mm-hmm. meaning the actual grip that you're using. Hmm. So first thing I had to figure out is what type of grip are we gonna use so we have Rosie use seven different types of putter heads including his gamer and we just do a test of his current gamer grip the one that he uses normally with claw what was that at the time and uh, what was he using was it Armor? double no not the actual putter but he was using a monaco he's a monaco blade yeah he, was. Made. Yeah. he like, was yeah
2: And I think
1: it was was it a double reverse overlap I
2: can't remember. No, it was so a long. it was a reverse overlap grip when we were putting conventional single reverse overlap with, no, a, your with the Monaco
1: blade. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. So yeah. it was a double reverse overlap is what, he, what I showed up. Yeah. He had a double reverse overlap with a Monaco blade from TaylorMade, and we tested him with that grip, and then I had him go claw with the same putter, and then we tested seven different putters, just looking at the stroke dynamics of double reverse overlap compared to claw, and just David said it was off the charts better with claw. I mean, it was so much better. I immediately got all that data over to Phil Kenyon, and who, who Rosie had started working with, and it was like, oh, well, it's decided. We're going claw. Like There's no ands, ifs, or buts. This is going to happen. So now that we knew what type of grip he was going to use, we started testing a bunch of different putters using claw. And there was one comment that Rosie had made to me in advance of my trip, which was, every time I pick up Henrik Stenson's putter, I make everything. It's like, okay, light bulb goes on. That's an Odyssey number seven, which is a fang style mallet, high MOI. So we had a bunch of prototypes made um, that were fang style with a bunch of, we had a flow neck, we had a single bend, we had a double bend that are all, the reason you go with different neck styles is to achieve different toe hangs and different offsets. And it also changes optics a little bit. So we went with all these different neck styles on the putter, same head, basic head designs. And worked through all this and we're like, wait a minute, okay. So this this Odyssey number seven style head with a single bend shaft, which is a full shaft offset, about fifteen degrees of toe hang. When we use this in conjunction with the claw grip, it's it's way way better. Just the overall results, the stroke dynamics, and then also him starting the ball online. And as David mentioned, you guys fought a block under pressure for a long time. Now all of a sudden the putter's flowing through impact, the face isn't open. The face is squaring. His margin of error is very, very tight. But he kept fidgeting. I could notice that when he's putting his hands, like he couldn't figure out where to put his damn hands on the grip. And he's, he's trying to figure out where to, where to put his hands on the grip, and he's fighting it. I can see him going, you know, pencil grip or the index finger down the shaft then under the shaft then on the side. And then he's fidgeting with his, tr- his top hand, his lead hand, where to put that, can't figure that out. So I brought a few different grips over with me. And one of them was the SuperStroke square grips. They have a perfectly square putting grip. I throw that thing on there, and all of a sudden it was like a light bulb clicked. The, the, the fingers just knew where they wanted to go on the shaft intuitively. And if you look at, you know, the way that he puts that claw grip on there, we mentioned this last night, Cordy. The way that that index finger, that trail index finger runs down the shaft he felt like he could apply force to the back of the putter on the back of that square or, or straight edge um, to where that force was constant. And he didn't feel like he was fighting it with any sort of torque. Uh, and then the issue then became with that grip is, okay, the trail hand feels great, but my lead hand feels bad because I don't like the feel of this square grip. Hence, the flat cat turned sideways. So we put a flat cat on there, turned it sideways, and then all of a sudden it was like the heavens opened. And, uh, and the rest is history, man. Yeah, freedom. And so it
0: was. then it was, the start line was good with that. The start line
1: was good. It was consistent. We weren't getting the block. Uh, he felt comfortable and confident. He liked the aesthetics looking down at it. Uh, he liked the feel off the face. Uh, now, the really interesting part of this is that we got in touch with some folks back at TaylorMade said, hey, we need a fang-style mallet, X, Y, Z. This is exactly the spec. At the time, they didn't make one. And there was some pushback. You know, well, let's have them spend some time with our folks at TaylorMade. And, uh, and, you know, a few months passed, and I noticed that it wasn't in play. And then uh, all of a sudden, the Ardmore showed up. The Ardmore was the red-headed Ardmore. It goes in the bag and rips off two wins in a row which David has experience I think remember the corza that Rosie put in ripped off a few wins in a row
2: with the corza yeah, um, and he won, he won with the blades too when he was putting yeah. conventional but, but the cool thing about this whole thing is you know when you when you went to a new grip yeah. the it fit changes. fit the fits change yep. and that was huge and, and, and and not just the way you're holding it, but the actual grip on the club.
1: The interaction between the way your hands are on the club with the way it's interacting with the shape, the size, and the weight of the grip and the, and the effect that the weighting of the grip has to the balance of the club. All of a sudden, the light bulb went off, and I started to, to, to chat with David about this. I'm like, wait a minute. We're always talking about CG and alignment package, and we're talking about head shaping, and we're talking about stability and MOI and like yes we understand that there's something that goes into the weight and the size of the grip
2: and the, so there's but what about things? the shape yeah so yeah so so basically there's four things in a grip that you're looking for number one is the shape is it a straight or is it a pistol right okay. and that's affected by where do you like to hold the club do you like to hold the club along the hand or across the hand by the f- and held by the fingers so a straight grip would be somebody that if you're holding on to something, it'd be along your hand. And I actually like the finger down the side of the shaft, thumb across the top uh, with a super stroke straight, straight grip. And it's not brand here. It's just it's a straight grip versus if you have a pistol style hand, you're going to want a pistol style grip. If makes sense so you start with the shape then obviously the size yep. which is you know length of your hand length of your palm length of your fingers how wide is your palm how short and stubby your fingers how long are your yeah, fingers yeah that's general hand anatomy right yeah that's size right and then you get into the the texture so this is pretty interesting so um back in the old days putters were had leather grips and they didn't weigh very much Okay. They're like 30, 40 grams, right? And you, and you could use a light head. I can remember I got invited out to ping, Paul, Doctor Paul Wood, and Eric Hendrickson invited me out there. And took me to the archive room, which is way cooler than the vault. Yeah. Okay. Everybody talks about the vault, but, but the, the archive, archive room is, is amazing because that's where they got all the first, the first run of everything. <laughs> and I pick up the original ping answer, and I'm feeling it. I'm like, so light. This feels so good, though. Yeah, it's so, so light, but so good. And they start. I said, I can feel the head. I said, how much does the head weigh? They go, 310 grams. I said, no way.
1: All right, so, so just to frame that for all the listeners out there, head weights have escalated significantly over the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. We're talking 370, 380 gram weight heads. And the reason they've done that is MOI has become the rage, adding stability to the head. Well, when they do that, they add all this weight down at the bottom of the, I'm going to say it, I, he's, he's going to look at me all funny here, pendulum. <laughs> You're lucky I'm on my medication, <laughs> so though, I, I know all the keywords, all the flash words to get David. we going. It's great, um, but you know, at the end of the moment arm, uh, you get a lot more weight down there, and that's going to make the shaft flex or deflect a lot more. So now, in reaction to that, what have they done? Made heavier shafts. They've made heavier, stiffer, rigid shafts. I mean, I know people that are using C taper 130 extra stiff shafts in their butter. Now you've got this crazy heavy head with this crazy heavy and stable and stiff shaft. So now you've got to balance it all out so that swing weight isn't an F9. And how do you do that? Well, now we're going to throw an 80-gram grip on there. Or a 120-gram grip. (laughs) So now you've got a 120-gram grip. You've got a 130-gram shaft. You've got a 390-gram head. I mean, here's the thing, though, David. Of all the elite putters you've worked with, which are quite a few, how many are using insanely heavy setups like that? Zero. Not a single one. Did I say it? Zero. So what I've noticed with putter design in general is they've designed putters around people that don't putt well. And putter design in general has gravitated away from the stuff that works for good putters towards the folks that really struggle. And unfortunately, it's pulled the entire design concept away from head designs that are actually functional for good putters. And it's tough for good putters to find putters that work for them. Tiger's putter, you know how heavy that thing is? Very light, so you're at 35 grams. The head, just the
2: head. Why do your players
0: 35. not have heavy putters? What's that? Why do your players not have heavy putters? That's a
2: great question. Well, geez, see that picture right there, Cordy? Yeah. Let's hang that over on this wall. What size nail would you use? A little pin nail? Yeah. Yeah. Would you? Do you need a sledgehammer to do that? Do not. Exactly. Okay. So here's the here's the deal. Tim said it beautifully. The industry is actually building putters for golfers that struggle, and I hate to break it to them, they're gonna just continue to struggle because they're putting with sledgehammers. You're not. So you're telling me the heavy putter was a bad idea back in the day? Is it still in business? I have no idea. Is it still in business? So all this stuff. At the end of the day, they're band aids. Well, yeah. All right. So, in all fairness, okay, a heavy putter is for
0: somebody. But it's usually for people that lack fine motor coordination. Well, that, so that's my perception, right? If I have a light putter, I'm going to get all handsy. And then when the nerves happen, I'm going to like, whoa, yeah, but that's, just swipe that's it.
2: Yeah, but they're all still handsy. So I've done some research for grip company A and grip company B and grip company C. And it was A versus B and B versus C. And it was supposed to reduce wristiness. It did not. It increased it because the hands are further apart. The further part that the hands are, the more coupling effect there is of the hands. However, it did something else. The bigger grip reduced how, how fast they're twisting it. Yeah.
1: Which is which is a thing because we're talking about the squareness of the face. Yeah. But it's increasing the amount of in-plane motion. Yeah. So it's increasing the amount that the putter's
2: quote-unquote releasing. In-plane, yeah. In-plane. But, but it's
1: reducing the amount of twisting so that the face isn't opening and closing as much.
2: Exactly. So it did the it did something different from what it was advertised. Now, I hate to break it to our listeners out there. I've been teaching for out on tour for 12 years. And I can remember being on a, at Congressional in a practice round. Rosie was playing with K.J. Choi. And that was the first Head-cutter. oversized yeah. grip. And I asked K.J. if I could, you know make a few strokes with it, and I did, and it, it was it, it was huge. It vibrated. You couldn't feel the club head, period. And what's interesting is that – does KJ Choi now still putt with an oversized grip? No. The trend out on tour is moving back towards more midsize. Yep. Like a deep etched. Yeah, m- size pistols, midsize straights, uh, like a Super Stroker 1.0 or 2.0 max –
0: because the idea was to take the hands out. Because it like didn't classic, do it, though. Right? It didn't it doesn't do, it. do it.
2: And you know what? I'm one of the few people on the planet that actually put sensors on people's wrists, arms, and shoulders. And I can tell you right now, it does not reduce the wrist action. It, I'm sorry. You got sold a bill of goods. Yeah, it's, it's a placebo effect at best. Yeah. At now, best. is it for somebody? Absolutely. Absolutely. I told you, for somebody that holds the club along their hand with their finger down the shaft, thumb across the top and they do it with the right hand too, that those bigger grips are for somebody. So because of the size of the grip, Superstroke was very intelligent, they use polyurethane, which is a lighter right. material. Because one of, the, one of my European tour players, gosh, I give him a lesson and he shows up with an oversized rubber grip. The grip alone weighed 120 grams. So you're dealing with texture here. You've got your three basic textures. You've got leather, which is used a very light underlisting you've got rubber which gives you tremendous feedback from the club and then you have polyurethane so to me polyurethane um, and the oversized grip much more of a mechanical structure, structural feel even though it doesn't produce uh, a lack of wristiness but rubber is a little more feel based and then leather is extremely feel based you know so you, you go back to the four let's go ahead and let's go through the list again we've got the shape straight versus pistol we got the size we've got small and we got midsize and we got oversize Then we've got our textures we've got leather rubber and polyurethane and then finally that all leads to weight now this is interesting discussion how many of us have bought that putter off the, out of the pro shop or we got it from somebody and or stole it from somebody out of their bag. <laughs> like they don't need this anymore. And the putter feels amazing. And then we get this crazy idea that we're going to change the grip because we don't like the blue grip. We want a red one.
0: Probably every time. I would
2: say. Yeah. yeah. How many times you've changed your putter radically? You have now messed up the feel of your putter because you didn't do one thing. You didn't weigh your grip. Yeah. You need to make sure that you know how much tape you're putting on there. How much does a uh, how much does grip tape weigh? One and a half, two grams? A couple grams. It's going to change swing weighting a point. Yeah, so so what's interesting, probably arguably the GOAT of all time mm-hmm. uses a Ping PP58 Ping man grip on a Scotty Cameron putter. One of tape. It's only one? I thought it was four.
1: No, no? I think it's one. Okay. I'll double check, but I think it's... it's okay, anyway.
2: Regardless, we're talking about a this.
1: super light head... Yeah. We're talking about a shaft that's not a C taper one thirty. You're talking about a small grip that
2: weighs fifty nine grams. We're talking about a very light putter. Yeah, and then what's interesting is, uh, you know, I've had the good fortune to work with Brad Faxon a little bit, and not me really teaching him. It's just kind of just like listening. (laughs) Yeah, two minds getting together and loving to talk about putting, right? And I weighed all the components of his putter. I mean, he's got the smallest grip I've ever seen—a Scotty Cameron Studio Design fax day fax well the grips of studio design weighs 58 grams and it's worn down and he holds it under the heel pad of his hand he likes to hold it in his fingers this putter weighed like 493 grams total i mean he's another one that uses like a 330 something head
1: so so fax used to come down and do a a clinic down at doral we have a true spec has a location down at doral and I uh, used to do a short game clinic out there with Jim McLean. And they'd get 10, you know, 10 high rollers that came in and would spend two days with Fax and Jim McLean. And uh, I'll always remember packing up shop one evening. It was day one of the school. And I see a putter laying out on the green. And I go, are you kidding me? These guys are just leaving their golf clubs around like they're paying this big money to be a part of this clinic with faxing, and they can't even pick up their own golf clubs. And I walk out to that putting green and I pick up that putter and it was Fax's putter. He left his putter on the putting green and I looked at that thing. Now, we had him on our podcast. You know, I, I do a, a podcast with Golf.com uh, a few weeks back and he told us an awesome story about his... Backup putter getting stolen and sold on eBay for ninety nine hundred dollars, and then when he tried to pursue it, the seller ended up going dark on him, and he's never gotten the putter back. But that fax putter, as you will attest to, it's a one of a kind. I, I, I've put I've putted
2: with it I've putted with I've put it with a gamer.
1: It's one of a kind. It's, it's,
2: yeah, it's it's, it's a beautiful putter too, yeah. and you know it's it's kind of like one of those old school cars that just get better looking. Yeah, the time you know yeah. so here's my point I'm not saying everybody out there needs a light putter but I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to blow your mind right now so I did some research back in 2007 8-9 with Adele and we did with AIM which putter do you think which putter of all putters do you think the vast majority of our students that we tested we tested over 100 which putter do you think they AIM the best
0: just like an answer putter like a normal, no no I would say a non-lined. You're close.
1: I'd say, or a sight dot. Let's go with sight dot. No. It was a bullseye. No it really? No
2: offset. Non-lined bullseye. No lines. No lines. No offset. Just, Just a perpendicular head and a stick. That's and, awesome. Man. Yeah. So I think, and it doesn't mean, and there's golfers out there. Like I had, we had a lady over, at, tiny little clubhead. Yeah, we had, we had a lady <laughs> over there at Pine Needles, at one of our golf schools, and she had a Scotty Cameron American Classic bullseye, and that, which <laughs> is, I think, is the greatest one that's ever been designed. Yeah, it's great. If I could just talk Scotty into reproducing like thirty thousand of those at a <laughs> nice price point, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people out there that should be putting with a bullseye. Because it's low MOI, because they use their hands, they're never going to learn to putt with their shoulders. They're not coordinated enough to putt with their okay. shoulders and their arms and take out the hands. So there's a whole bunch of people that should get get in a crouch posture, in my opinion. Like like Nick or Palmer, cool. get old school, get them elbows out, yep. get that forward a address, and go ahead and tap it. You don't hear you don't hear this often
1: from a lot of putting. No, no and really I teach, I
2: literally teach people that are not coordinated the old school pattern. Yeah. and they look get amazing I get them crouched elbows out set the D lofted at first and then just let them get a little pop stroke to it and they look at me it's like I gave them they're not coordinated to coordinate not, the big muscle they're movements. not people aren't and that is the number one key in a stroke pattern how does this player coordinate both hands yeah. both arms both shoulders and their body okay most people are not coordinated enough to do it okay and they and heck, they don't even practice. So I mean, I'm <laughs> gonna go out and try to take it back with my shoulders and then smack it with my right hand and right arm. That's what I see mainly is people taking it back with the shoulders and smacking it with the trail arm, trail yep. wrist, and then they're saying, "Well, I'm trying to take my trail hand out of it." And I'm sitting there going, "Well, Tiger Woods, <laughs> Jesus, if we took Tiger Woods' right hand out of it, do you think he'd still be a great putter? Yeah. Or Zach Johnson or Henrik Stenson?" Talking about Tiger,
1: I showed you some numbers last night, Cordy. Yeah, you doing that? Yeah. Eye-opening, very surprising. yep. So I showed uh, I showed Cordy Tigers Sam Putlab numbers last night, David. I showed him the aim versus the impact. Mm. We were talking about aim. It, it was you know, surprising. How, yeah, aim sure. is important, right? I, this is a lot of information, a lot of research that David and, and and David Adele have done, as he mentioned, drilling down on you know how to best aim a putter. But as David mentioned, you know we they would find a putter that aimed a player perfectly, Mm -hmm. yet their motor pattern ended up with a, you know, ended up making that putter not square at impact. So what's more important, aiming perfectly or squaring it at impact? Obviously squaring it at impact is a little more important. And with those numbers, remember, do you remember what Tiger's aim tendency was? I think it was like two and a half to the right. Two and a half open. Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half open. Which is a lot. Well, Grandpa's gun, she's left. That's right. So uh, that's a David Orr saying. I'll use that one until um, I... actually
2: got that from David Adele, and I, did it? it always stuck yeah. with me. And then so the, the idea that the Grandpa's
1: story. gun shoots crooked, but if you shoot enough times with Grandpa's gun, you're going to know how to compensate for that and aim to
2: the other side that it shoots crooked. I actually have a story about that, so when you finish, let me go so,
1: so the idea here being that it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. Is the reason that he aimed to the right because he would close the face or did he start to learn to close the face because he aimed to the right? I think with a lot of players, they start to aim the putter in reaction to what they see the result. So they see pulls and they start to aim right or they see pushes and they start to aim left. And this isn't something they do consciously. They actually do it in reaction uh, to what they're noticing as far as a miss. Uh, But the point being that arguably probably one of the best
0: putters of all time. Well, yeah. so it, it was ninety-eight percent consistency. I think that's that's, that's a what it said. Thing to remark upon, and and it was just so it works for him, right? I mean, obviously yeah, it works for him. It's, it's intentional. We aim, He aims to the aims right, his stroke. Aims his <laughs>
2: stroke. So what and he does that, knew that mean? Of course he does. He's not. He, he, if you ask Tiger, super cerebral, he, he could.
0: I mean, the guy's yeah. a genius. For so so was that the. Well, like you said, I mean that's the that's the question that I have. How do you know when to change that or when not to change that? <laughs> that's why I'll tell you another story.
2: <laughs> we're walking down the fairway, 2013 PGA Championship. Foley comes out there, and we're Rosie's playing with Torborn and Olsson. And by the Walter. way, the
1: best impression of Sean Foley of anybody I've ever met. Is this man well, on that's our podcast right because I learned so here. much
2: from him. I mean, Sean's the best, one of the best coaches on the planet, in my opinion. So anyway, we're walking down the fairway. Rosie out of the blue goes, or no, Foley goes out of the blue. He goes, you know what, D? They call me Dior. They're the ones that gave me the nickname Dior. He goes, you know what, D? He goes, Rosie misses the fairway. No big deal. Rosie misses the green. No big deal. Rosie misses the four-footer. No, that's a big deal. And that's your job, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you asked the question, oh, coaching putting, even Brad Faxon has told me this because he's gotten into coaching putting, and he's a, one of the greatest of all time. Coaching putting is one of the most difficult, challenging uh, aspects of, of instruction because here's why, just what Foley said. There's a finality, yeah. and there's a, psycho- there's a psychological effect, there's emotional effect to missing four-footers. You know, I mean, come on. How many people can sit, sit there and make three footers, four footers all day long? But do they want to be in that moment like Suzanne? Well, Suzanne had eight footer and wanted it, and wanted with it. The whole world Most watching. people are afraid. I see so many people who putt with that they're so careful. It's like the closer they get to the hole, the more careful they get. And careful means you're afraid. Careful means there's fear, there's tentativeness, and what does that affect? A, it affects the rotation. You completing the rotation of the stroke. Okay, it also affects your acceleration, you know, and deceleration. So, you know, uh, coaching putting, yes, I mean, it is extremely difficult. And you said, how do you know which, hey, how do you know which one to change? Yeah, like how do you know if you well, should, this guy needs on, a new putter? It, it or this depends needs on the a different player. Stroke. I mean, you're using a lot of measuring. We never guess what we can measure. I got that from James Lights. But, yeah, you, you measure, and it's, it, we're in the, we're in the, the uh, enlightenment period right now of putting instruction. So what's interesting is there's a hundred or a couple hundred – well, there's a hundred here, and there's a few more hundred that aren't on that list. Right. You know, that are great full-swing coaches teachers, ambassadors, all that to the game, right? But yet putting, why is there so few? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because those who think it's simple, once they start doing it, they realize they don't know what they're doing. Because here's why. I'm just going to give you the save, just, this, just a little baseline of coaching putting. A, you got to teach green reading. You, you got to teach speed control. You got to start line. You got to figure out if, is this pers- person, do they want to be in the moment? Do they struggle with fear? Do they st- struggle mentally, right? Do they have the right putter in their hands? Is their stroke good enough to produce them to be skillful? I, I only change somebody's putting stroke if they lack a skill. If there's something in the stroke that doesn't allow them to, to do do a skill, that's when I change the stroke.
1: It's, it's very complicated, and it's something that I don't think a lot of folks, uh, they think there's a lot of black magic when it comes to both putter instruction and putter fitting. For those that know what they're doing, uh, it's not black magic. There's been a lot of research done. You know, my, my pathway to really exploring putting came from just, putting poorly myself, sure. you know. Yeah, I was, think, that's, like, think that's where it starts for most of us. Yeah, that's where I was, too. We, we all, a lot of us have played professionally. We're great ball strikers. I, I never came to see you, Dior. Maybe that was where I went it, wrong, it but pro- I went and saw. It probably
2: wasn't time to see me back then. So what's interesting is, you know, we, we evolve as coaches, and I've gotten better and better and better, and, you know, and, and there's, I'm not for everyone. I know that, and I get that. And you know, what's interesting to me, though, is, is that people don't stick with with what you tell them to do. I mean, if it doesn't work on the next first three holes they play, they're changing already.
1: That, that Tom Perzer story. What grip do you use?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and I. He just... said yes.
1: I said okay. So do you change from month to month, week to week, round to round? And he says to me,
2: "I four putted. I four putted number twelve today with four different grips." <laughs> there you go. No, it's so true. And and here's the thing: if it does. So so this is getting really into the meat and potatoes, Cordy. The real reason good players are, or good putters are good putters, is they stick to a process. I don't, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I am a Bill Belichick fan. And one of my favorite things that he says, the mantra of do your job, do you don't know how many times I've told my players is quit worrying about results, quit whining and complaining because you missed a one footer. And that was based on the previous few three, four footers you've missed. I said, learn to do your job. You know, your job is to do what? Okay. It's read the green. Very good. All right, and then I'm going to hit it on a certain line at a certain speed. Very good. Now set up to it, look at it, target it, and they'll make your stroke. And you know that's that's the key is to learn to learn your own stroke. I think Arnold Palmer said, "What swing? Learn to swing your own, own swing." swing. Yeah. Well, I'm, David Orr is going to tell you, to "Learn to stroke your own stroke." That's right. Learn your stroke, figure it out, figure out what your patterns are. Everybody has
1: certain optic tendencies where they tend to aim it in certain.
2: Whatever, lo- yeah. But people don't understand. They don't. I don't teach a method. I don't teach everybody to put the ball. 10 inches from your toes and 2 inches left of your center of your stance and put grip it like this and hold it Personally, like this.
1: Personally that's that's my that is my pet peeve yeah. when I see instructors teaching address templates. Everything. Because it's it's so disconnected from optics. Everybody's optics are different. Whether it's acuity, depth perception, whether it's eye dominance, everybody's recipe for the way that they see is so different. And that's going to play into the way that you visualize your putt, and it's going to play into the way you see the line and the visualization of the line. And so when I see an instructor prescribed to a, a specific template of, I want the 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 stance, a certain shoulder width. I want the ball, two in, two balls inside the left heel. I want your eyes over the ball. Yeah, by the way, nobody has oh eyes, eyes over the Oh my God. That. I mean,
2: very few golfers have eyes over the ball. Yeah. That's not a fundamental. That's a preference. That's a preference. Yeah, I think, so, I think that's the key right there. Let's talk about that, Tim. I think golf and putting instruction. Rules versus preferences. Yeah, so, yeah, so what a principle is is not what a preference is and I think so many preferences have become principles in people's mind. Eyes over the ball logically makes sense optically it doesn't i've got
1: data on that by the way so so one of the manufacturers i worked for we engaged in motion capture fitting and so using motion capture we were able to figure out data wise how many players actually had their eyes quote-unquote over the ball when they putted based upon our fitting 87 percent of the pga tour has their eyes inside of the ball at a dress position and there's no difference between those who are good putters and those who aren't as good of a putter when you're talking about the position of their eyes over the ball. 80%, 87% of the good putters had their eyes inside the ball, and 80% of the bad putters had their eyes inside the ball. So there you go. The eyes over the ball is a preference. It's a preference. And, and, and not only that, it's a preference that can actually undermine good optics.
2: Uh, and it's also one that can destroy bad mechanics. How about people that play the ball forward in their stance, then they say, eyes over the ball, and now they've, the leaning tower of Pisa to the left. Yep. Shoulder and, line <laughs> open. Yeah, spine out of alignment. Yeah, All no that balance. stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, so anyway, we could go on and on and on and on about... But the difference between rules and preferences. Absolutely. There are very few rules. Yeah, there are some principles of movement, okay, and that's what I teach. And that's what I teach all – no matter if it's a junior golfer or a tour player, they're going to learn proper concepts based on principles, not based off of some theory. Um, you know, there's too many theories. There's too many – and to me, a theory is just a great idea, whether it's tested or not tested. Um, there are basic principles of movement, and that's what I teach. And, you know, when people come take a lesson from me, they're like – I ain't never heard this before. I said, listen, it's just basics. It's basic
0: physics. It's basic yeah. geometry. Basic
2: physiology.
0: Yeah. Guys, this has been fun. Um, we've got Suzanne Pedersen stories. We've got Tim in jail in the Bahamas. We've got <laughs> Justin Rose figuring out his grip. Uh, this podcast has been awesome. We'll leave the cliffhanger of your principles for next time. Absolutely. How about that? We'll do that next time, right? Awesome. Cordy.
2: Cordy, you're still, after what, two, three years now? It's, it's been a little while. Yeah, you're yeah. still the best interview in all of golf. <laughs>
0: I just i stay quiet and let you tell your stories all right buddy (laughs) thanks Thanks, tim see you guys hey thank you so much for listening to the golf science lab podcast it was great to have you join us for this episode we have episodes coming out on a weekly basis you should subscribe if you're listening to apple podcasts or spotify wherever you're at We are there. You know what would be really, really awesome is if you enjoyed this, it would be to leave a review. That helps more people find the podcast. This helps us grow um, faster so we can create more content for you and help educate you on really what's going on in this world of golf improvement from tour pros to instructors to leading companies. Um, Make sure to do that. It would be much appreciated. My name was Cordy Walker. Thank you so much for joining us on this program. This episode was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions.